I've never put it's just me, but it is bigger than what people imagine. The comment was made to me, but Dan, you're seen as normal. How's that possible? I, at the same time, and I said this before, do not want to be seen as Dan Graham, the disabled or neurodiverse director. And that's another thing that people blows their minds up. They don't get that. Maybe not all the time, but I like to think I do have empathy of people, let's just say it again, of diverse backgrounds. Welcome to the Theatre Art Life podcast and hello. We're putting the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the globe, the culture creators and the backstage masters. My name is Anna Robb. My name is Anna Aguilera. On this episode, we will be talking to Dan Raham about his work as a disabilities art advocate. Dan is a theatre director and disability arts advocate. He has a special interest in access support for performing artists with neurodiverse disabilities. Dan, welcome to the show. Hi, Anna, and hi, Anna. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you on today. So tell us a little bit about yourself before we start to talk about accessibility and neurodiverse disabilities. Okay, as we were starting to say, I actually identify myself as being an individual with a neurodiversity. And as I was saying to both of you guys offline during this past week, neurodiversity is such a broad term in itself. And that can include autism, Asperger's, um, dyscalculia, <laughs> depression, dyslexia. It's a whole gamut of things. And even at present, in a lot of research that I've done, which we're going to be discussing, a lot of people are actually taking themselves out of the disability model and now wishing to be part of a neurodiverse I don't want to say camp, but grouping. Community. That makes sense. Community, that sounds better. Yeah. You know, and I, as I said, it's very personal to me as well as in terms of my directing work. I, in this time of COVID, like so many other people, there hasn't been any theatres to direct work with or very little opportunities. So I've actually been seeing the need and desire on my part to actually bring forward the idea of accessibility for artists with a disability, and I will say this, specifically those that are trained artists, because that's a other discussion in itself, um, with a disability or neurodiversity. And I've actually seen that basically it is what I thought was going to be a little discussion is becoming bigger and bigger and having people all over the world, be it Hong Kong, or America, or et cetera, contacting me to get my thoughts. And, you know, I think the interesting thing that I have learned over the last few months of talking about accessibility in the arts and uh, through the numerous webinars and discussions and articles that we've done, there's a lot of focus on accessible arts for the audience as accessibility and their needs. And then I've seen this big kind of void of the people that are actually producing the arts in terms of representation. And historically, you know, over the last year, there's been a lot of talk about diversity in terms of ethnicity uh, in, in America, big Black Lives Matter and everything. And now I, I'm seeing that there's also a diversity in this realm as well that also needs to be represented. And so, and I think you you agree on that. And, and so tell me a little bit about your experience in Australia in terms of, you know, how many people with neurodiverse abilities in the industry? Is there a lot? What's your personal experience? I always make the comments that what actually, again, got me into this whole kind of conversation originally was when I actually saw someone making a comment, and as we will all agree here, Black Lives Matter, gender, sexuality, etc. all diversity is of equal importance. But my particular interest is of neurodiversity and disability. And I actually did see someone posting that if Australian theatre was to survive, this was about two years ago, so about a year before my fellowship, which was on Access, which we're going to talk about, posted all forms of diversity, but disability wasn't mentioned, which I thought was a bit of an over... It should have been mentioned, <laughs> let's just say. And I actually made contact directly with the people concerned. And when I spoke to one of the people, their first comment to me, which I thought was quite... I don't want to say funny, but humorous, whatever you want to call it, they had to inform me they are no trained, and obviously 
you know, Lisanna, I am a trained director. I actually have my master's in directing. As I always say to people, this is not a hobby, you know. <laughs> you know, if I wanted a, a hobby, I, I could do a few other things, I think, but you know what I mean. And I actually had the whole idea that when I was talking to the company concerned, they informed me there were no trained directors in Australia with a disability, which I thought was very narrow or limited thinking, let's just say, because as I said to Lynn, I could think of six artists um, myself who I personally know, and I'm talking directors here, who would identify with a disability. But back to diversity and my personal experience and loads of others, there's a lot of concern about what I refer to as outing oneself for many different reasons, which I'm happy to discuss. And I said to them, I could only mention one person, and that was myself. And it was an absolute, as I like to tell people, to go with a fitter sphere, I, a pin to pause, and they couldn't answer me when I said that. And it just got me realising that how important that, as we said, disability as a whole needs to be represented, particularly, as we said, audiences are represented. And as I said to you last week, Anna, if we don't have an audience, we don't have an industry full stop. And if anything, COVID has shown that. But I think it's very important to show that in relation to that, there are artists out there. And again, I keep saying my interest is of neurodiversity. And with a project that I'm working on, which I'm sure you can ask me as we go along, as part of that project, I actually asked that there be actually, again, of confidentiality, an anonymous survey where, and it was promoted on the company's website, theatre artists, directors, playwrights, crew, um, directors and men, et cetera, who identified as having neurodiversity could answer survey and give me or, or give the company concern, which is a separate company, sorry, um, their concerns about being neurodiverse in the industry in Australia. And I always smiled that literally the person who I actually did a survey with has known me sometime, sometime they're actually a mentor of mine. And their response to me was, oh, I thought it was just you. And it turned out we had over 60 responses. And to me, that's only the tip of the iceberg because, as I said, neurodiversity, in this sense, covers such a broad term. I felt... I was validated or whatever that big word was. So, you know, I was actually um, validated, yeah. What is the fear about people talking about their own? Um, you were happy to say that you were of had it, that uh, neurodiversity and that you couldn't name the others because they didn't want to talk about it. So, so what is the fear of people who have some kind of definition of whatever they are and their fear to talk about that? I would start off saying it's, it's only been a recent acknowledgement of myself to, as I said, out myself for the second time, you know, and you can guess the other one, you know, maybe not. Um, and I actually do find it literally it is that fear of actually because I always make the comment, and this is maybe a bit controversial what I say here, when people think about disability, this can be in any industry, but I'm talking fear to here, if a person, and I'm trying to be very careful how I say this. If they look disabled, often people for one way or another are comfortable with that. But if I, Dan Graham, let's, let's put myself as a character here, using few examples here, you know, and basically someone sees that I can walk, I can communicate most of the time, actually all the time, you know, it could be them. That's a lot of the comments I have from fellow artists that I know who are neurodiverse. And also because even simple things, the term neurodiversity is only a recently new term. I have made a comment to people in the past, up till the last few years, last five years, I used to tell people I had a learning disability because there was a jargon or knowledge I was exposed to. Unfortunately, when people hear the term learning disability, and I'm not saying there are great artists who are actually classified as learning disability in a term of intellectually disabled artists, but that doesn't relate to me. So, and also I think it is, if I can be blunt now, again, <laughs> it is the fear of unknown. And I think it is that basically, I always make a comment in terms of disability now. If you yourself don't have a disability, 
I bet you any money you like, someone very close to you, and I, what I didn't mean to say this, and it just happened, no, someone very close to you will. You know, so I, if I can do my Oprah now, one out of five Australians identify as having a disability of one form or the other. So I think it's it's fear and it's also not, let's be blunt again, it's not understanding, you know, and I think... It's it's a simple thing. I'm not. You don't have to look at a Black Lives Matter business. When you saw complete, and I don't want to compare one is worse than the other, or you know. But when you see literally people being murdered, as we did in Black Lives Matter, I would say a lot of times I have been, and I'm not saying I'm emotionally uh, emotional, but I did. I have been emotionally. Affected. Does that make sense? In terms of people's attitudes, experiences to me as an individual, and that has been in arts as well as in society as a whole. So, yeah. Earlier today, when I was um, thinking and reflecting and doing some research for for the conversation, but mostly thinking, I was thinking on the same thing you just said. As like, if we don't, we do. Like. Okay, Black Lives Matter. I was born and raised in Mexico. You know, I was kind of foreign to this idea and everything that comes with the discrimination this group of people has survived to or lived through during the, <laughs> this many centuries. But I do know people with disabilities and however you want to call them. Like I have a cousin that has dyslexia and that doesn't make him any more or less it's just very real. And why haven't we been speaking about this? Why, like, and it's not the only one, you know, like it's the first one that comes to mind, but I was listening to this uh, interview Anna did, and it's like 25% of the people in general have some sort of disability. It's like, okay, I'll grab five people in the street. One or two will have something. <laughs> I, how can we not include them in this conversation? I don't know. It was surprising. And then it's back to what you are saying that whole thing about inclusion, you know, including people in the conversation. Like I, another reason why I'm probably so public now is that I did see, and I have had experiences myself, of people wanting to speak on my behalf. I only said to Anna there was an arts organisation, and I'm not going to go any further publicly, who I was meeting just before, only just before this past Christmas, so just a couple of weeks ago, and I literally, they came in and there was someone there who actually knew of me, who does work in the disability art sector, who does not have a disability themselves. And the people who I was meeting with, such and such, has said they're going to come to the meeting. And I looked very confused. I said, um, why? Oh, such and such is happy to speak on your behalf. If you said it to any other form of diversity, and I, as I say, I feel like I have to be careful, but I'm, I'm not going to be careful. Sure, but you're not asking for it, right? So if you want someone to talk on your behalf, you'll ask that someone to talk on your behalf. Exactly, exactly. And I'm not saying there aren't people, let's talk just in terms of disability, you know, there may be people who may require that or wish that, but don't presume I, I always make a comment, I said this to Anna last week, like, you have two people, obviously my experiences of neurodiversity, and it's something you just said a moment ago, you have two um, people with neurodiversity. I bet you any money you like their, I don't want to say symptoms, but their issues, you know, are completely different to the uh, other person. So we can't put it in just one image, and I think that is one thing that I am trying to, I don't want to say promote, but it is my agenda, let's say, <laughs> let's say what it is. That is basically just what you said. Like the funny thing was, as I said, this is only a couple of weeks ago, and they could not understand why I said absolutely not. I said, oh, 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 what, what do we do? I said, um, and I said it very politely. I said, well, you say to such a person, I don't require them to be there, you know? And I said, oh, oh, oh. I said, and obviously, and this is another thing which is important in this experience and what we're talking about now. You know, I, because oh, being in theatre, being in arts, being a reader of people, 
uh, I am pretty good. And I could tell that I was seen as being difficult, but my requesting, not just my right, but my literally, my wish. Yeah. It's interesting because after we spoke, I was thinking about it and I was trying to form a parallel in my mind and in and, and a way that I kind of resonated with me is that, you know, we talk about women breaking the glass ceiling, you know, because we can't go higher. And I feel with your community, it's about breaking the walls around you because people are trying to put people in boxes and define what that is. And having known people, and we, you know, we talk about that a little bit, is the spectrum is is very, very complex and long and and where you sit on that spectrum can be very high functioning you can be right down at the back end and non-verbal and you know all of those things and then if you did that and you extended it then we're all on a spectrum right we all just sit somewhere on that and so so we all just sit on this bar and so instead of putting people in a box and saying I'm defining you as Asperger's or autistic or whatever because you know that when you know these people and you understand that that diversity within that is so wide and varied that how could you put that it's like it's like explaining the difference of me and Anna like to people but like trying to put us in a box that you know yet yeah, Nothing, nothing about us is the same in, in a way, apart from our love for the arts. You know? <laughs> Actually, all three of us. Um, so I, I, I just think, you know, I love that concept and I really, you know, I, I, I guess my passion about that is quite building because it's now becoming part of theatre art life's dialogue that I want to continue, not just as a series of on accessibility. I've realised that this is a bigger and more long-term discussion that needs to be included on the long term, diversity and and on all kinds of ranges of neurodiversity, et cetera. So what's the roadmap and how do we, apart from having these conversations um, and talking about it, which is a great start, I guess, um, but what's the roadmap in your in your ideal from your perspective that we could work towards that um, ideal of having that inclusiveness? My first thought would be, and, and you already said it, and I did say this to you, so funny that we're repeating a lot of what I've said, but anyway, I would say the first thing is open to this conversation, like any kind of, you know, as I said, be it gender, be it race, whatever, you know, it is all about opening dialogue, you know, and I know I think it's so funny and this is, again, my only, I can only talk about my personal experience. I always find it, and I said this to you, I always find it interesting. If people say they understand, my blinkers literally just cut down and it's not my neurodiversity. Literally, I see the BS behind it, <laughs> if you know what I mean. And I think in terms of that, I think it's, I give an example and it's what I think is a starting point, what we were saying. I was starting to say I actually was awarded a Create New South Wales, which is, the major um, state funding body here in New South Wales for the arts to take me over to the UK in October of 2019. So just before COVID, I literally got there just before COVID. And my actual fellowship was on what we're talking about, access, but in particular access departments for artists with a disability as a whole. But obviously my focus was on neurodiversity. And I was only talking to someone just before I spoke to you this morning about this very issue. And I did say to them, and it's something we have said before, you know, in Australia there is access as such, but it is for the audience. And trying to, again, trying to reiterate what we are saying here, but it has to be for the artists as well, in my, not in my view, but just it has to be. And I give, and I literally, two things, I met with, I mean, it was, must have been between 15 and 20 access departments, producers, et cetera, performing arts venues, theatre companies in the UK, including the National in London themselves, National Theatre of Scotland, Hold Big, World Court, The Globe, Doma, except name them, I pretty much went to most of them. And I thought it was very interesting. And again, I'm not going to disclose names, but with the interviews I did and part of my neurodiversity, I did request and obviously got permission from them to actually tape those interviews, which the plan or was has been to transcribe them and 
just to continue this discussion. After the best interviews I got were this. After five minutes, the tape was asked to be stopped and obviously with my background in journalism, my BA in journalism, I know when a subject asks you to stop a tape, you stop a tape. And literally the majority of people, without a shadow of a doubt, either themselves had a disability, invisible or not, and as what we're discussing here, or someone very close to them, a partner or someone in their family, <laughs> and just what we were just, other end of what saying, identified as having a d- disability. And in, in this instance, it was neurodiversity. And I thought it was, again, what I said at the start, what I had been, not think, I've never thought it's just me, but it is bigger than what people imagine. And I think another thing I would say on that issue too, if I can sound like a person who travels all the time, you know, that same year in January, I was awarded uh, another scholarship to take me over to the US where I was uh, head of directing residency at Atlantic Theatre Company in New York, where I spent time on a production called The Mother, which starred the wonderful um, French actress Isabelle Herpère. When I actually was in contact with him back and forth, you know, when I was working on documentation, etc. I, and this is back to what we were saying about other people and me, myself in this, I did not mention in original context I identified as a disability because of my pre-fears, can we say? And as I've said to you before, we can be here forever to give examples, viable or real examples. And they actually said to me, Dan, is there any access requirements you need? And I made a dreadful joke. I said, oh, it wasn't because of my spelling, you know. And I said, Dan, how do we say this seriously to you? That's a question we ask everyone who works from us, from front of house to our artistic director. And I think that could be a starting point. And at the same time, people may not wish to disclose they have a disability. And that is like any kind of diversity. That is, if it's not apparent, that is up to the individual, but it is to open this discussion and basically like when we have, or we, I've had people say to me, how do we actually help people if they don't actually tell us? My first response was when you even say the term help, it makes it sound like one needs help in a bad way, if that makes sense. And I think it's basically I would like to think, this is my dream world, I would love to think there could actually be maybe a centre point for access in, and we're talking about performing arts obviously here, but it's all arts, but performing arts here, where it could actually be one with by someone with a disability, and I might know someone who I would put my hand up <laughs> to be that person if I was paid, you know, <laughs> to some dreadful. No, but, you know, so, again... I will say this, I have on a weekly basis, because of the work I'm doing, people contacting me, say, and some of them, again, why this guy's names, some of them even a the public would know, yeah, I'm talking about actors, directors, writers, etc. who, what I said at the start, are concerned about disclosing, and uh, we're talking about diversity now, you know, because of a fear of, if I can be blunt, and this has been said to me numerous times, of losing work. And this is a real concern. It's not, for better word, people being dramatic. It literally is when I was saying I put a project that I'm working on at the moment, and luckily the theatre company that has come on board is very supportive, but it does help that I actually do know the artistic director and they actually know me <laughs> as Dan, who happens to have a neurodiversity, but I'm seen as Dan first and foremost, if you know what I mean. But when I did pitch this project to another theatre company, and again, we're talking recent times, as in two and a half years ago, when a uh, person who I met at this said other company, not the one who's come on board, said to me, what actually is your connection to neurodiversity? And again, I say, and I said to them, well, it's my second outing experience that I myself have a neurodiversity. And then there was a pause, and as I said, this is a person I had met socially numerous times and I have seen since, you know, in a theatre setting. And the comment to me was, and this will burn on my brain forever and a day, even if things were to be absolutely perfect, the comment was made to me, 
but Dan, you're seen as normal. How's that possible? And on inside, for someone who's very good, like anyone, and I'm not an actor, but I have been very good at masking things in a many different guises, you know, I literally was crying on the inside. And I will be honest with that to both you and Anna. And I, at that time, I basically tried to start, not as much as I'm saying here now, but tried to make a point what we're saying here. But the dreadful thing is, back to that example I gave just now, and I've loved one that I gave of only a couple of weeks ago. If you talk, and I, this may sound a generalisation, if you were to speak to, and this is internationally, but I'm only talking about Australia here, so be careful when I say this, people would say they are doing this work. And I think that is this uh, scary concept that literally when people feel either there's not a problem or the problem has been solved. That's interesting. Peter Royston, who we talked on a webinar with uh, a few weeks ago, he is in, based in New York and he has cerebral palsy. Um, and he said the, the same thing about asking people what their access needs are and the fact that, and I, I really like that because, you know, as you said, everybody could have access needs. And, and so then it's not an, an, a target on the people that have more or less access needs. It's just like, okay, you know, and, you know, if my access needs is up, you need, I mean, I, I, you walk in, I'll have, a, if you have a coffee for me, I'm like, that's my access needs, right? Um, it, you know, but, well, you know, the scale and scope of that is is interesting to me and I, I love that. I think because for me, I'm a very practical person. I, I want to know what I can actually do. And um, so one of those things is, you know, asking for access needs. But then secondly, finding a way, I guess, to, I don't want to say normalise because that's that's probably the wrong word, but, you know, to normalise, um, but, you know, to make it such a, an awareness that, you know, one in five or 25% in America, you know, that it's it's there, people are different and, and we need to be open about that. And if anything, you know, I'm fascinated, by the way, if people's brains work differently, what, how can that be translated creatively on stage from the north, right? And so... I would love to, I mean, to see a show that maybe you've directed or, you know, see it, see the world through the eyes of somebody who sees it differently than me. I find these are fascinating things. So if anything, we should be doubling down on that rather than avoiding it. But I think mostly it's, you know, coming back to what your point is, is that people may or may not, they may think they're doing something or they may think it's not an issue or it's been solved or whatever because they're just not really aware. So you can't really blame people for being ignorant. It's really our culture creates an environment where people are not aware of that. It's the same with Black Lives Matter. There's people in America that don't see it as an issue because they're not physically connected to it in any way and so they don't understand. And so uh, I think that's really I don't have a point in the way that I don't know how to fix that. I think it's really interesting to figure out ways to practically apply that in the arts community. But, and I would say this to you also, I would give an example. If we talk about disability and I will put in this category, the deaf, hard of hearing community as well, because as I've discussed with you, I actually have directed recently a production which will be coming to hopefully COVID willing, <laughs> uh, as part of a Midsummer Festival, which is a production which I actually self came up with the idea, just what you're discussing, after meeting um, someone in arts who actually identifies as being deaf and queer. And it's, I always make a comment, imagine a deaf, queer version of Joan Didinty of Magical Thinking. You get some idea what the show's like and even people say to me, oh, who's Joan Didion? So that's a good start. Anyway, go on Netflix. Anyway, I think it's very worrying, and this is something we have discussed before, which I think we can mention here, uh, with the performer concern, who's become a friend of mine. They literally graduated with a BA in a creative degree, let's just say, and a lot of the issues they had in terms of access or lack of access it's the same that I had, and I'm not saying I'm old, but uh, when I actually, and he's obviously in his early 20s and I'm older than that, you know, are still happening. So I think a big thing is also when it comes to 
I don't want to say institutions, but let's say the performing arts institutions as a whole. And I have had experiences with some institutions have which have been fantastic. You know, don't get me wrong, but they are still there's still back to what you were saying. There's still that you know not think either the issue has been sorted or we don't know where to go. And as I said, when it comes to even simple things like, okay, in my direct, let's talk about me in career in terms of it also comes to in an academic setting. If in, and it's what you said about what you like to see, my process, etc. In my directing, I very rarely take notes which may horrify people at first thought. And I have had people say to me, but, Dan, you have to give actors notes. I have, and we've discussed this again, you know, the term about rewiring the brain. I have had to rewire my brain in such an extent, in instances like that, even pre-wanting to be a director, you know, that I literally can recall what actually is occurring after event without taking notes, if that makes sense. And I always give the example when I did a production of The Crucible, which is no mean feat, <laughs> a three-hour play to be neurodiverse or not, you know, and been one of the classics of in the theatre canon, I literally, I actually set my production in a post-9-11 world. And I was, and I discussed this with you, and I also... I had one of my young actors who was a recent grad who I actually cast to be um, um, the judge, I think it was Judge Hawthorne, yeah, or one of the lawyers. And he said to me, Dan, I don't know who this character is. I need help. Your first response was, well, you're acting, but I didn't say that, <laughs> you know. But, you know, <laughs> and they actually said to me, you know, I need something tangible, Dan, you know, and in the regresses of my mind or my memory bank, as I like to call it, I said to him, and obviously being an actor, I said, you've heard of a play Angels in America. Of course I have, Dan. I said, I want you to go home, read it again, and read of the character Roy Cohen. He actually was a person who was involved basis of a McCarthy trials, which is a basis of a crucible. So it's a kind of multi-kind of strand idea that I have. And he came to me and he said to me, oh, you said he was part of a McCarthy trials, Dan. Yeah, that was the basis of a crucible, Dan. Yep, yep. And it's, I think it's that thing like just what you were saying about one's process. Like I want to include two projects that, actually three projects now I think of it, three projects that I'm currently working on deal with or are working with trained professionals who identify as being either part of a disability community or deaf or hard of hearing community. I, at the same time, and I said this before, do not want to be seen as Dan Graham, the disabled or neurodiverse director. And that's another thing that people blows their minds up. They don't get that. But as I've said before, it's like any kind of diversity. Like, yes, and I will say this about my own artistic self, you know, does my disability inform my work? Yes, as does my queerness, as does being half Jewish as it has been from a single-parent family in the lower north shore of Sydney. Take that over where you want it, you know. But, you know, I, but I, I would like to think that basically I, the three projects I'm talking about are passion projects of mine and I do feel I have an understanding. And, one, and the best compliment with the original production of the show that I'm talking about, the one with Melbourne, with uh, uh the deaf performer I was talking about, was actually the deaf community banked me because they said to me, because obviously talking about small communities, they did were aware that I identified as a neurodiverse community and they did know that I did say Sam, who is a young man in Christian, that I literally had said to him, and despite being part of a disability community myself, I cannot speak about what his experience is. That is not my right, nor do I have understanding but I do have and I don't want to say empathy because then I sound like one of those people we're talking about you know I do have that understand of what I always call and 
back to my work. And I always say to people, I had a friend of mine recently, not recently, sorry, some years ago, saying to me, what's a common theme in my work? I said, I just do. But thinking about it, the work that attracts me deals with the outsider. And that can be disability, as I said, it can be deal a gamut of things. So how do we basically show that, again, talking Dan Graham, the character here, Dan Graham is a director who, yes, happens to be neurodiverse, but he is not, not just defined by his neurodiversity, but let's be blunt, it's not the most exciting thing about me, you know. So what is the most exciting thing about you and how does that reflect in your work? <laughs> is that a question? <laughs> I felt like I'm on a dating site now. <laughs> no, no I, when I said that, just I, I think me, like if anyone, everyone, and you said it before, uh, but uh, you, uh, Anna, Anna, you know, everyone's an individual. So basically my individual self, is what I would hope would make me interesting. And I said this before, the reason why I went into theatre in the first place, and when I say in the first place, as a 12-year-old, when I was sent to acting classes by a mother who has been my greatest champion, supporter, etc., who has not brought me up to define myself by my disability, if that makes sense. Again, what we were saying about personality. And basically, I went to acting classes because let's be blunt about it, I did not have a voice. I'm of a generation where people, and there are still people who still feel this, when we're talking about the neurodiversity or disability we're talking about, and there are examples of people that I do know who may have a neurodiversity who also may have an intellectual disability. So I want to make that very important point as well. But people at that time, and I'm talking education, and I want to clear from a family of educators. My mum's a retired assistant principal, et cetera, where basically I'm of a time where people saw any disability that's just so bluntly, it's um, above the shoulders, it must be intellectual because if it affects the brain, so I use diagrams here, it must be automatically intellectual. And I think I said this to you, and I said this to you, Anna, and you gave me the term, and you may remember when I said this, that when you have, like, the IQ kind of um, scoring, like, the two, like, there's a verbal and nonverbal. Once side of, and this was when I was in year three, so I must have been eight, nine, et cetera. And as I said, I've literally had, I don't want to say intervention, but I've had support from a get-go, and that's thanks to mum, let's, <laughs> let's just say it. In my IQ testing, one of the scores put me in, and I'm not trying to sound wonderful here, in a genius level, and ironically, the other part of me put as being an intellectually disabled. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know what I mean? So <laughs> I always give that example. At that same time, I actually did go to a place, and I should have said this to you, and I don't know if you've heard of it, the Macquarie Education, and I think it's silly, the Macquarie Education or special education unit connected to Macquarie University. And I was very lucky to go there because at that time I could not write or read. At the end of the year, there was the little play, and it was actually the gingerbread man. And maybe this started my desire of actually being involved in theatre in one way or the other. And I still remember I was absolutely devastated I wasn't cast as a gingerbread man but I was cast as a narrator because, quote, I was the best reader. So that's an, uh, yeah, so I'm still waiting for that while. I'm still waiting for my close-up and it's a different story. But yeah, moments like that, like when you said what makes me unique as well, I would like to think, and maybe not all the time, but I like to think I do have empathy of people, let's just say it again, of diverse backgrounds, you know, because I do have and I am, also, I've said to you before, I am the co-chair of the Artists with a Disability Committee for MEAA. And ironically, this afternoon, I'm going to be having a chat with my other co-chair and other people involved of the in board. And this is so funny, we're having this discussion this week. And at the moment, there's a lot of discussion here in Australia. And I've had numerous conversations, you know, in media outlets, et cetera, this past week. 
in regards to, and you might want to explain a bit more, Anna, in regards to Lucia business. I was going to bring that up, actually, because I think that's really an interesting topic. I don't know if you're aware of it, Anna Aguilera, but uh, so Sia released a video clip, which was um, a teaser for a film that she has done, music. And in it, there's the the girl that she's worked with for many years who um, is one of the dancers in her um, chandelier video clip and she and the greatest video clip so she she's done a lot of with that but in it she's playing somebody with autism and so she's somebody that is not autistic playing a role of um an autistic character obviously the the film clip went out and the community was like there's hundreds of us that would have liked to play that role who are actually in of that you know of that mind state and um and and it's just it it does beg the question of like what if we're talking about inclusion and i don't think again it doesn't come down to i was thinking about it after you alerted me to that article then i, I don't think it comes down to i don't think we should demonize sia for making an error it it comes down to you know again from a cultural perspective we're not aware of it enough to be like, this is not necessarily cool, right? And so maybe her intentions were good, but she's surrounded in an environment where she doesn't see that that might be an issue for people in, in your community. Can I just interrupt just for a second? So, and obviously I'm never going to be working with Sia by making this statement. It has been <laughs> done. I was planning to be, you know, one of her, you know, onesies or something. You never know. Anyway, but, you know, there has been a lot of, cruel comments made, let's just say, by her, unintentionally or not. But if you read them, I think they are intentional. I have read them, yeah. yeah. Some of them are pretty... Mm. Sus, let's just say. And even, I don't know if you, because we're on each other's Facebook, I don't know if you saw that I posted even two nights ago. Uh, and trained, another trained neurodiverse actor, who, who I know, who I'm actually working with on project we have been talking or one of the projects we've been talking about literally and it took him a lot to do it I feel to actually post that he was and he said it very politely that he's concerned about what we're just discussing here and one of C's fans literally literally trolled him and (laughs) I think that's yeah I'm gonna say that I think that's unforgivable I think it, I, I just think it's just overall quite sad because when people start to become that, you know, keyboard warriors on the internet, it's really not a productive level of conversation. And so, and 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 through the Twitter universe or yeah, even what C's comments were or what, you know, I think really there's got to be a comment and we've got to have a conversation, you know, and even in me being a media outlet, we've had some, you know, I've had comments here and there of whether things were appropriate that we that we've put on the site. And often, like, I will reach out and say, do you want to have a conversation? Let's have a Zoom. Let's talk about it. Because I don't want to sit there and keyboard warrior back and forth. I'm here for the community. So if you've got an issue with what's going, then let's have a discussion and come to a resolution. Which goes back to just what you were saying, and <laughs> I feel we know each other, <laughs> that I can say that to you, that it gets that other thing there. It's like I am very careful who I and I'm being very public here, aren't I? But I'm very careful about who I have those conversations with. Yeah. And Anna Aguilera, I mean, how do you feel like you've just been kind of thrown into this accessibility conversation very late? But when I told that, when I, when, what's your reaction when I told that story about the SEER thing? Like, what do you feel when you hear that? Why? <laughs> like, honestly, uh, and maybe I can't really speak for for a group that I don't belong to, right? But for example, my dad sent me a video today with a guy singing a poem written by one of the biggest feminists. She's not even considered feminist because she was pre-feminism. Poets in Mexico or Nueva España because it wasn't even Mexico. It was a group of female musicians, but the guy that was singing was a guy. And that was my question, like, why? Why does it have to be a guy conveying a message towards feminism? Why? And I think, I think my question stands: like, why does a per- like? I mean, I'm not an actress. I couldn't act act as someone that has autism because I'm not an actress to begin with. But can someone that 
actually knows what it is like, do it. And if the the answer is no, then okay. But if the answer is yes, why can't they do it? Like what? You know why? <laughs> but Anna, Anna in the states, I would say to you on that issue that, and I'm, we're talking about casting here, obviously. You know, I am very, and I hate to say this, very much on the fence in the, in my point of view. As and let's talk about diver, neurodiversity, disability. Now, some of the best performances have been done or performed or acted by people who do not, as such, have a disability. And I can give a number of examples here quite willingly. And they have been great performances. And at the same time, it is that whole attitude about, you know, acting is about to do something or take on a role that you don't know or that you are not yourself. <laughs> That's a really good dinner. To... <laughs> no, but, you know... So you see it on, as a way of educating other people on the matter. Yes, but I like the point also, if you look at it, there's a, a production, oh, not a production, sorry, there's a TV series coming up soon by Russell T. Davies who did Queer's Folk years and years could It's a Sin, and it's that's actually said at the start of, start of the AIDS crisis, and he's deliberately cast all the... LGBTQ characters as are people who are LGBTQ actors, you know. Identifying it. Yep. Identifying you, yeah, absolutely. And he made a very, often it was because I've been reading a lot about that in relation to what we're talking about as well, and he made a comment, he said, it's like would I cast someone who wasn't in a wheelchair, you know, in a while it was them to be in a wheelchair. I think the thing is that I would say ideally it should be cast by someone who actually does identify. But at the same time, I think it has to be that kind of, it gets back to what we're yapping out about all the time here, having this discussion, you know, that I will say I thought it was very interesting with the production in question of the Crucible directed, my best uh, friend um, saw it. And he said to me, I could see you in John Proctor. I said, what? How's that possible? He said, I saw, because I know you so, you know, so well, and we've known each other 20 years. He said, I could see, back to what you were saying, like my stamp, my paintbrush, whatever you want to call it, you know, in that production. But it's how do we, like, as I said, I have, I've always, and it's funny when you mention that, uh, not funny, but and uh, but that poet, I think it's very interesting that I have been predominantly being brought up in a female household. And when I say that, not just my mum, my grandma, another lady who's like a grandma, women have played an enormous role in my personal creative development, etc. And I will not, and it's something I will say, I won't say I'm a feminist, but I would say I'm a peopleist. And then it goes back to what we talk about, my interest in all forms of diversity. I make the comment here, I think it's very funny, and um, there was actually a book signing just before COVID, Gloria Steinman, talking about a real-known feminist, came to um, Sydney to do a book signing and gave a talk. I was the only guy in line, you know, to get her autograph. And she actually said to me, and I remember Liz Bibler, she said, and because I gave her my name, she said, Daniel, I don't mean to somewhere, do you even know who I am, you know? And I said, how do I say this? I've been brought up with, I don't want to say your teachings, that sounds religious now, doesn't it? And I literally I went as someone who admires her as a person, yeah. I do believe context and the circumstances matter and understanding that is important. So when I ask why, I might be already having a thought in my head, but I'm also asking a question, right? And I'm open to that discussion and trying to understand. So I'm not saying it's wrong. I just want to know why. No, no, no. I'm not saying that at all. And I, and I think and I think that's the point, Anna. Because and and to your point too, Dan, to say you know um, if somebody can act a role that is autistic and they're the right person, then perhaps that is the right thing. But I think. You have to go down the gamut of having that conversation early, um, maybe auditioning people who are 
who are autistic or however to see if they're capable and give everybody a, an even playing field. And then if at the end that person is chosen, when the discussion comes up online, you can come back and say, you know what, we did this, this, we did. this, and this, and yes, this. Absolutely. And we've and we we've 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 made the decision because of that. And I think that's the point. It's not to say that people who are, you know, you selected for a role playing another role it's just that can these people have a opportunity to, to participate in that process and have that discussion and then if at the end that is the result then that's the result and I think that's why when there is no forethought or no discussion about that when it comes out in the media and people are upset about it then they're just immediately going on the defense rather than saying hang on we've had this we've been through this process We've talked to a lot of people and this is, and I think that's the point, right? Like have them part of that process and then it's an easily thing to, easy thing to defend, I guess. But Anna, it's that also, Fina, but wording when we go back to Lucia example, she has been public to say she actually had had someone cast who was on a spectrum, you know, and it, it didn't work. Unfortunately, by saying that, I'm not trying to be super sensitive here, but it comes across as being quite negative, if that makes sense. No, but then it comes down to messaging and conversation. And, it, yeah, it's, it's hard. Like, there's a no-win no win situation. Sorry, Anna, just going to just say this. I keep thinking, like, I don't know why I'm thinking about this. All I can think about the example of the movie, and I'm not trying to be smart when I say this, the movie Frida on Frida Colour. That, um, that as anyone knows about the backstory of that, and we won't talk about Harvey Weinstein, because there's another issue. <laughs> but literally, like, that was in the pipeline for a number of years and they had everyone from Meryl Streep, Madonna, et cetera, expressing interest to be in that role. And as we know, or people will know, sorry, um, Summer High came on board. The funny thing is, my first response as we are talking, like, perfect, she's Mexican, that counts. And my second point is, oh, but she's not in a wheelchair. I don't know how many wheelchairs. <laughs> Actors that are in Mexico, but with my own knowledge of things I've read or interviews with Summer High, she herself has dyslexia. So I would, I'm not, you know what I mean? So she. She had her own issues and that sort of thing as well. So, yeah. Wonderful, Dan. Thank you so much for spending uh, time with us today. We really appreciate it. Um, where can people find you? Okay. Um, if they want to go on my Facebook and just see me as Dan Graham, and I am in a process of we developing my website and hopefully by the time we get because obviously we're going to be in touch like hopefully that can be up by the time this comes on so bye yeah wonderful thank you so much dan we really appreciate your insight today thanks guys we would love to hear from you our listeners on who you would like us to feature on this podcast or what topics fascinate you there is a link in our podcast description where you can send us your requests and guest nominations Theatre Art Life provides regular monthly webinars and podcast episodes for free. If you have the means, donations can be made via a link in the podcast notes. We would be thankful for any support you can give us. You can learn more about Theatre Art Life, the global media site for entertainment, at www.theatreartlife.com. And you can follow us on all social media platforms. We want to thank David Sire for composing the music for our podcast. We are your hosts, Anna and Anna, and this is the Theatre at Life podcast.